0: Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 2. We'll read briefly from the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. And then we'll turn back to Psalm 71. It's the first Lord's Day of the month, so we're going to look at a psalm for the month. This month is the 71st month. That I've been your installed pastor, so it'll be Psalm 71. And Psalm 71 we'll be looking at in just a moment. First, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Hear now the word of the Lord. He took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Fenuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Amen. It's a popular question, perhaps you've come across it. Perhaps you've wrestled with it. If you were given a timeline for how many days or years you had left, what would you do with it? If you knew how much was left to your life, how would you apportion the time that remained? Simeon and Anna, it seems, have made an unlikely choice. They have decided to spend the few years that remain to them, late in life, hanging out in the temple. Inspecting babies as they come in for their lifelong, we would call it baptism. They would call it their, their circumcision and their naming and their sacrifice with the pigeons and so on. Is that what you would choose? I mean, if you were old, having lived your life, and all you had was a few years left, you're like, you know what I want to do? I want to find the biggest church with the most babies, and I'm just going to sit down front watching baptisms every day, all the time that's what they chose. Now, why would they choose such a crazy way to spend their retirement years? Because they wanted to see Jesus, and they knew he was coming. With that in mind, turn to Psalm 71. The Psalm of the month this morning is Psalm 71. Psalm 71, here again, the word of the Lord. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge, to which I may resort continually You have given the commandment to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unjust, of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I have become a wonder to many. But you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him. For there is none to deliver him. O God, do not be far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are my adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O God, you have taught me from my youth. And to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God... Do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Also, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have shown me great and severe trouble shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Also, with the lute I will praise you and your faithfulness, O oh my God. To you I will sing with the harp, O oh Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you, and my soul, which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk about your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought to shame, who seek my hurt. Amen and amen. One of the things we are losing as we switch to streaming music is a sense of the logic of an album. For some of you old enough to remember this concept? That, that, That a band or an artist would produce not only a song that would be a great hit, but a series of songs that would somehow say something together, collectively. That the songs would advance logically from one to the other. And as we continue to just stream our favorite songs, we lose something of the environment and context that the artist had in mind for the song. Something like that happens to us with our Psalters. We sometimes lose a sense of where the psalm is in the Scriptures. This psalm doesn't come to us with a subtitle. But the one in front of it does. And the one after it does as well. According to Psalm 70, that is a psalm of David. In which he is in a great hurry and wants God to hurry up. In Psalm 72, David's out of time. It is, according to verse 20 of Psalm 72, his final prayer, his final psalm. And according to the subtitle of Psalm 72, it is concerning Solomon, his son and successor to the throne. So apparently, Psalm 71 has a lot to do with dying. David is moving from Psalm 70, I'm running out of time, hurry up, Lord, to Psalm 72, I am not the king anymore. It is now Solomon. Psalm 71 has to do with that brief dark moment when you realize 99% of your life is behind you. And there's only a few moments left. Psalm 71 has to do with that moment that we call old age. It's a moving target. Did you know that a recent survey found that Americans define old age as any time after? 65. And it changes every couple of years. Because we don't want to admit we're in the category. So we keep moving the category up. But not so David. David says there are some unique privileges and pleasures of old age. And he offers them to you today. For one thing, it is the old who have come to a quiet conviction that the gospel is true. And David offers this good news to you, young, middle-aged, or old. God saves constantly. There is no season of your life where he is not saving you. He saves continually Constantly, completely. And so let us worship him accordingly. Let us worship him continually and constantly. This is the main thrust of the psalm, and it begins in verses 1 through 5, with David making a quiet yet confident profession of faith. In verse 1 he says, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. He says again in verse 5, You are my hope, O Lord God, my trust from my youth. David begins with a profession of faith. Lord, Lord God, you are my hope, you are my trust. You are the one on whom I depend. But in between this statement of faith, he makes a petition. That's in verse 1. Let me never be put to shame. That is to say, let there never be a moment in my life in which my trust, finds you faulty. Lord, at every turn and in every circumstance, show yourself trustworthy so that my trust is not an embarrassment to me. Let not my faith fail and let not the one in whom my faith rests fail. This is what David's prayer is and he has two expressions of God's trustworthiness and faithfulness that he wishes to see. In verse 2, he says, deliver me in your righteousness, cause me to escape. He says in verse 4, deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and the cruel man. David is imagining a circumstance, which is easy for him, for he had several such circumstances, in which there is a cruel, unrighteous, and wicked man who wants to hurt him. Shall we begin to count them? Goliath, Saul, Philistines, Ammonites, Moabites, Syrians, his own sons, Absalom, Adonijah. David had no shortage of cruel, unrighteous, and wicked men from whom he needed deliverance. And he says, All my life long, Lord, prove yourself trustworthy, prove yourself the escape. Get me out. Deliver me. Cause me to escape from those hands that would hurt me. But secondly, David says in verse 3 save me, be my strong refuge. That is, my rock of refuge, that I may resort continually to you. You have given the command to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. This sequence of metaphors, you are my rock refuge, rock, fortress, is not the image of an exit sign. It is not deliverance. It is not escape. It is not getting out of the hands of his enemy. It is being kept safe in their midst. Be the rock that is sure and high and unshaken, where my enemies cannot reach me. Be the fortress and the refuge that is deep, and secure, into which the enemies cannot come. In this way, David imagines the two types of salvation that we experience. Lord, get me out, or Lord, get me through. In either circumstance, David prays, Lord, save me, don't embarrass me. If I have to stick this out, okay, fine, keep me safe. But if I can get out of here, okay, show me the exit. David has found that all salvation is in God. And he isn't looking anywhere else. God is my escape and God is my refuge. Whether I stay or whether I go, God is the answer to my problem. Whether I am to remain or whether I am to flee, God is. Is the answer. He is the solution to the problem. The one in whom is my trust. He's not a trust, he's not trusting the rock, he's not trusting the refuge, he's not trusting the fortress. He's trusting God to be those things for him. Beloved, what about you? Have you learned this lesson yet? There's no salvation in singing psalms, there is salvation. In Jesus. There's no salvation in eating bread and drinking juice. There is salvation in Jesus. Have you come to realize this? That these are means which are used to show you Jesus, to give you Jesus? In like manner, have we realized our faith is in God, not the means He has provided? Our faith must be in the giver, not the gift. And then we will find we're never put to shame. There's no embarrassment. Because sadly, I confess, His means do fail us. We don't always live up to the standard, do we? The instruments of God's salvation are sometimes insufficient. But the Savior never is. He is always sufficient. He saves constantly and continually. And David at the end of his life has come to realize. It's got to be God. There's no one else. How do we come to this quiet conviction? How do we come to this settled sense of the world that says. I don't need another meal. I don't need another drink. I don't need another good night's sleep. I've come to the end of my life. Those were the things I needed to get me through life, but here I am, it's old age, and really all I need is God. Leave me alone with Him. This is Simeon, this is Anna, is it not? They're alone with God in the temple. And this is what David has realized. How has he come to this conclusion? How do we come to this conclusion? David gives us three tools, three instruments by which to develop this kind of faith, to grow, mature this kind of faith and confidence in God. One, we have to learn to look back. Two, we have to learn to look around. And three, we have to look, you guessed it, ahead. First, let's look back. David, beginning in verse 5, has said, you are my trust from my youth. David begins to look behind him at the life he has lived in, lit- Living? Where did that come from? The life he has lived since his youth. Verse 6, he says, You have upheld me from birth, sustained me from the womb, is the Hebrew. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I have become a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. David glances, as it were, over his shoulder. And there he sees all the way back into his youth, all the way back to his birth, all the way back to his pregnancy. And he makes this extraordinary statement I see the hand of God at every face, I see the hand of God at every step. When I came out of my mother, says David in verse 6, you were the one, God was the one, who took me out. That's a rather polite English translation. The verb in the Hebrew is drew me out, led me out, pulled me out. It's the word for a med- midwife. God was my midwife. When my head came into the world for the first time, the hand that cradled it was God's. He was there from the very beginning. If this is the case, then the first line of verse 6, as you have in some of your ESVs, should be rendered, by you I have been sustained from before birth, that is, in the womb. David imagines himself in Old Testament, John the Baptist being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, such that he should have a relationship of love with the God of heaven, even in the womb. And he came forth in birth with the hand of God upon him. And then he says in verse 7, I have become a wonder to many. This word wonder is, is the word sign or miracle. I have been a source of awe. They have come and seen my Davidic story and they have perceived the sovereign grace that is at work behind it. All the little princelings in the palace of Jerusalem come running up. King David, King David. Maybe they called him grandpa. I don't know. And they say, tell us the story of Goliath. And he says, yes, the battle belonged to the Lord. They come running up and they say, Tell us that day that you escaped from the cave of Adullam when Saul was there. And he says, Yes, the Lord was with me in the cave. And with eyes of wonder, all the little children of Israel learn from David that he is the wonder that is a source of the stories of grace by being old. David has the extraordinary privilege of looking back on his long life and telling story after story after story of the wonder of God's grace. Look what God has done. I mean, how many of us have birth stories that prove God's hand is on our babies? There's two in the room at least, right? In fact, if you're here, you have a birth story that proves God's hand is on babies. If you're here, God had mercy on you when you were born. How many of you have childhood stories where you became an adult, you look back and you go, why am I alive? You know? Motorized things in hospitals? How many of you had parents who were on the first name basis with ER nurses? Friends, can you not look back at your life and say, My God is a wonder. God is such a wonder. Many can look into my life and see through it as through a glass... And see the grace that is at work behind it. As David concludes in verse 7. You are my strong refuge. David says that the first privilege of old age. Is that you can look back at these stories. This sequence of life. And be filled with praise continually of God. Being filled with a mouth of praise continually of God. With glory all the day. You look back on your life, and I know that for this congregation, a great many of you aren't that old yet. But even you, even the young, can look back on their lives and see God's grace already at work in them. And even you, the young, can listen to your parents' stories and your grandparents' stories and learn from them these wonderful wonders... Of God's grace. This is the beauty of old age. The stories of grace that communicate wonder to us. But David also tells us not only must we look back, but we must look around. And when we look around, there are two things David wants us to look at. First, in verses 9-13, through let's look around and see that even in our weakness, God is strong. He says in verse 9... Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. David acknowledges that he is no longer able to wield a sword. He is no longer able to sling a stone. He is no longer the champion of battle. He is no longer the cunning foe who can overcome his enemies. Instead, as his enemies rightly perceive in verses 10 and 11... It appears David has been forsaken. Now is the time to pursue him. Now is the time to overtake him. David at last is without strength. David at last is overmatched by his enemies. And they begin to plot together. Perhaps David here is imagining the rebellion of his son Absalom. But I actually tend to think it's the rebellion of his son Adonijah. You guys remember him, right? He's the middle child, the third born that everyone forgets. Adonijah is the one who at the very end of David's life, when he is bedridden, David cannot get out of bed. His body is so weak, he cannot maintain its own body temperature. He needs another human being to lie in bed with him to keep him warm. That's how much his strength has failed him. Adonijah says, I got a good idea. Let's get Joab, the commander of the army. Let's get Abiathar, the high priest. And we're going to go down there and we're going to crown me king. Boom, done. The enemies of David have come together thinking David has been forsaken. It's time to overtake him. But David prays in verses 12 and 13, Lord, do not be far from me. Make haste to help me. Let them be confused, consumed, covered with reproach and dishonor. Let those adversaries of my life who seek my hurt be embarrassed by their lack of success. That is exactly what happens to Adonijah. Do you guys know the rest of the story? They're down there. They're feasting and they're drinking and they're laughing and they're having a good time. And Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, comes sprinting into the camp. And Adonijah's like, hey, this is a good man. He brings good news on a good day. And Jonathan goes, no. No, you goofball. Solomon's king. And they're confounded and confused and consumed. Within weeks, all three will be dead or banished. And Solomon will be king. They are utterly embarrassed in their plot and in their scheme. David looks around and he sees clearly that even when he himself is so weak that he cannot get out of bed. He himself is so weak that he cannot keep his body temperature up to 98.6. He has a God who is so strong that his succession is secured. How's that for a tremendous encouragement? Talk about a pleasure of old age. That you can look out at the world and realize, I can't fight anymore. I can't seem anymore. I can't wrestle with my enemies anymore. The job is done. It's time to put it down. These are the years of retirement. I'm not going to shape the world. I'm not going to change the world. I'm going to lie in bed and die. But it's not over. Because my God is still at work. I'm not at work. But he is. And David gets to bear witness in his old age. To one final and full triumph over his enemies. In which David is victorious. Beloved let us look back. And see. Our God of grace has done wonders for us. But let us look around. Let us look around and see. Our days are not done. It is easy. I know it is certainly easy for me. To look at the family, the congregation, and certainly the world. And to say, we're losing. I mean, who reads the news and doesn't come away with the conclusion that we're losing? But we're not. That's the promise of God. That if we were to look around through the lens of old age and with the privilege of the decades of experience, we would see with David that he does not ever cast us off. He does not ever forsake us. The other thing that we could see, ripe and fresh, encouraging to our hearts, is that if we look around the world, we'll see... That this life and this world isn't all about you and me. Not only would we see our enemies being defeated. Even to our very final day. We would also see our future. Growing up right before our eyes. Even to our very final day. Beginning in verse 14. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. I love the contrast. David is losing his hair. David is losing his teeth. David is losing his muscle mass. David is losing his bone density. David is losing his health, his strength, his vigor, his life. Everything about David is getting smaller and weaker. He's literally taking up less space in the world. He's occupying one sliver of a big bed. That's it. His whole world is shrinking as he's dying. And he says in verse 14... But I will hope continually, and I will praise you more and more. The one thing in David's life that is growing is worship. The one thing that in David's life is augmenting is praise. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, your salvation all the day. I will spend more and more time telling other people about your righteousness and your salvation, for they are without limit. When I faced Goliath, righteousness and salvation were there. When I faced the bear and the lion in the wilderness, righteousness and salvation were there. When I was alone running from Saul in the wilderness, righteousness and salvation were there. When I was hiding in the cave of Adullam, when I was hiding in Gath under the Philistine king, when the Amalekites sacked Ziklag, When I came up to Jerusalem and made it my capital, when I faced the Syrians and the Ammonites and the Moabites, there was righteousness and salvation every step of the way. Every episode of my life, I have never seen him run out of righteousness. As the old Puritan was fond of saying, there's more grace in God than sin in you. Friends, it is an inexhaustible righteousness. It is an inexhaustible salvation. He saves constantly and continually. David looks back on his life and he says, All I see is story after story after story of righteousness and salvation. They are without limit. They were there at every turn. And so he says in verse 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. What David has learned as this second privilege of old age is that he does not need strength to overcome his enemies. He can be a sick and dying bedridden man and still defeat his enemies. So too he has learned he does not need to be a healthy, vigorous young man in order to go out of this world in a blaze of glory. According to verse 16, I will go. He doesn't say where. I think it's the grave. And I will go into death In the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours only. I will die with worship on my lips. I will die with praises in my mouth. And my mouth will be full of praises. This is David's vision of his demise. For Lord, from my youth, you have taught me to do this. All my life, it has been one ceaseless effort... To have the Spirit of God instruct me in how to speak out the works of God to others. So that now, in verse 18, when I am old and gray-headed, I know I will not be forsaken. God will give me sufficient strength to do one thing. To declare to this generation your power to everyone who is to come. That I can say to the young. That I can say to those who are yet to come. Your God is wonderful. Your God saves constantly. Your God is everything you need to be saved and to have a good life on this earth. Would you look back and see in your youth the wonders of God's grace for you? Would you look around and see that in our weakness He is strong? And would you look around and realize... The chief strength that you and I bring to this world isn't in us. It's in our future. It's in passing grace from parent to child to grandchild, that from generation to generation, those who are yet to come might continually lift up his praise. The privilege of old age is that you can look back in your life and see the long litany of salvation. The privilege of old age is that you can look around and see there is victory and triumph without youth and beauty and wisdom and strength. The privilege of old age is that you can look around and see this wasn't actually about me, was it? I was here for a time and now it's someone else's time. I was sitting with a bunch of pastors roughly my age and we were feeling utterly overwhelmed by the challenges of this world and reflecting on the fact that we are coming of age and the church is starting to look at us and think that we're going to provide leadership. And we're like, we're not ready. We're not old. Some of us have just started going bald and gray and we don't have the wisdom to match And as we filled with fear and wonder, we suddenly had this realization. We're also not alone. We're not alone. There are those who have gone before us and they still speak. To them we can turn. And there are those who are coming behind us. And I don't know if you, middle-aged and up, have yet had this sensation... But if you feel like this world is dreadfully unfamiliar and that you can't keep pace with all this technological madness and everything else that comes with it, take a deep breath. Your kids can. And it's their world. Wait a few years. Beloved, don't be afraid. Look around. Salvation is at work. Salvation is at work among us and around us. Our enemies are being defeated. And our future is being brought forth. So then lastly, David says to look ahead. Let's look back and reflect on our youth and childhood and recognize the wonderful grace of God that carried us through. Let's look around and see that God has not forsaken us in our weakness. God has not abandoned us to our sin and our sorrow. But also, let us look ahead. I imagine David leaning back in his bed. Solomon is secure on the throne. Stop and think about that for a minute. David is no longer king. He's actually retired. First example in scripture, I think, of someone retiring. He's done. He's out of the job. He puts his head back on the pillow and he looks up. Your righteousness, O God, is very high. He looks up and beyond the peak of his palace, there in the starlit night, there in the sun-soaked sky, he sees righteousness shooting up very high. Who has done great things like you? Who, Who has taken a shepherd boy and made him king of Israel? Who has taken this miserable sinner and made him a saint? Who has done great things like our God? Who has filled all of earth to the very heavens with his righteousness and his salvation? O oh God, who is like you? This is the third privilege of old age. To be stripped away of all the deceits of the world. We're not going to live here forever. You won't be beautiful forever. You won't be wise forever forever. You won't be here forever. But God will. But God, who is like you? No, this was the purpose of my birth. This was the purpose of my childhood. This is why I survived it. So that I could say, wow, who is like God? This is why we grew up. This is why we got jobs. This is why we exist in the world. To come to this realization There is no one like God. He and He alone. I come, I go. You come, you go. We're all just part of the story, coming and going. But not God. He is the story. There is no one else like Him. And look, look with David what lies ahead. You who have shown me great and severe troubles... You who have filled my life with sin and with sorrow shall yet revive me again. We look ahead and we can see clearly with David that there is life after sin. And there is life after sorrow. All this pain and all this grief that is heaping up within you and me and drowning us and filling us with despair. It's not the end of the story, friends. He will revive us. There will be life again. There will be happiness again. There will be laughter again. This is not the sum total of our existence. He will revive us. But secondly, He will bring us up from the depths of the earth. There will also be resurrection. Just as He causes life to return, just as He renews us from year to year and decade to decade and revives us again, So he also brings resurrection to us again and again. From the depths of the earth, from the depths of the grave, from death itself, he will bring me up again. He saves so constantly that even in death he saves. He saves so continually that even in death he saves. He brings me up again from the depth. Do you know where David is? It's a trick question. Do you remember Peter on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 says to his audience, "We have David's grave." What does he say grave? Because David is not there. David's body is rotted. It's dirt. But not forever. For that body is still united to Christ and will one day rise from the dirt, from the depths of the earth. David is in glory awaiting the resurrected body. And what is he doing there? Verse 21. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Can you imagine being old? I mean, so old you can't get out of bed. I mean, so old that everyone in the kingdom thinks that someone else should be king right now. I mean, so old that you need another human body in bed to keep you warm. And then saying out loud to the world, you know what's coming? You know what's right around the corner? You will increase my greatness. It's as if David were to say to all his royal retinue, you think that the majesty of this monarch is great? Wait till you see me worship God in heaven. For the lowliest saint in glory has a majesty that far outshines all the kingdoms of this world. Beloved, this is what David says. You will increase my greatness. This isn't as good as it gets. There is greatness yet to come. Can you see it? Do you look ahead? And you will comfort me on every side. You will comfort me on every side. How many of us need comfort? How many of us want comfort? And can look around and go, I need comfort here, and I need comfort here, and I need comfort here, and I need comfort here. And David says, I am that close to being comforted on every side. I look back and I see a story of grace full of wonder. I look around and I see the strength of God working even when I am old and gray. And I see the future rolling out ahead of me. Not my world, theirs. And I look up. And I see comfort on every side. And I see greatness increasing. This is why David dies quietly and confidently. He whispers through Psalm 71 down through the ages. There's glory. There's glory in Emmanuel's land. So what do we do in the meantime? Verses 22 through 24 is, in the meantime, since David's the one dying and not you, David has now equipped you, he's now trained you, Look back in your life, take time today, take time this week, this month, and look back on your life and see what God has done for you. Take time to look around and see salvation worked out in your life. Take time to look ahead and see the salvation that is to come. And this is what should happen. With the lutes, I will praise you. Your faithfulness, oh my God. To you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One, of Israel. I love his choice of instruments. Harp and loop were David's favorite instruments. He played them all his life long. He played them to soothe the sheep. He played them to soothe King Saul. He played them to sing his psalms. And with joy in our hearts, we don't have to play them either. Because David, in old age, had stopped playing them. His fingers had gnarled up. His shaky hands couldn't keep time. And so when David says. I will praise you with lute and harp. What David means is. I will sing to you those songs. That I wrote to the lute. And the harp throughout my lifetime. I will sing the psalms of David. Friends. Let us sing the psalms of David. The holy one of Israel. Let us greatly rejoice. When we sing together. For we find three instruments. Are left to us. Our lips our soul, and our tongue. With all our being, lips, soul, and tongue, let us be devoted to the singing of praise, to the saying, as I look back, my God is good. As I look around, my God is good. As I look ahead, my God is good. For this I have concluded. All my enemies, all my sins, all my sorrows, even death itself, They are confounded, ashamed, and ultimately unable to hurt me. Friends, your God saves constantly. Worship him constantly. Your God saves continually. Worship him continually. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful psalm. We thank you for the sweet good news of Jesus Christ, in whom is resurrection and life everlasting. We pray, Father, that as we age, and as we are surrounded by those who age, we would learn together to grow up into the hope of everlasting life. And that, Father, we pray that from generation to generation, faith in you would pass So that we would hear from those who are old, truly God is good to Israel. And that we who are young would learn to say and to see, yes, he is good to us who praise him. Father, put worship in our hearts and praise on our lips. That we would go from worshiping you in this life to worshiping you in the life that is to come. Write these truths upon our hearts and fill our minds and our days with this reality that we might be a people pleasing to you. For this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.